Please turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we're continuing through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Everybody having an okay day? Enjoying the rain? Ready for some sunshine? Yeah. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word. And Lord, this is such a foundational chapter, such an important chapter of understanding the body of Christ. We invite you here to teach us, to instruct us. Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand? Lord, I know everybody's coming from a different place, Lord, some from joy, some from sorrow, some from a place of just mundane. Uh, it's just been a, a Wednesday. Lord, wherever we're at, we pray that you would comfort us and minister to us uh, with your love. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We desperately need a move of the Holy Spirit in our lives and also in our world. We see the kind of decay that's taking place in the world and also around us, and we say, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to move. If there's one thing that has been forgotten in our church today, not just our church specifically, but at large, is a work of the Holy Spirit. And as we study this chapter tonight, we're going to look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you to take a look at this from a panoramic view as you examine your own heart and your life, is how much room does the Holy Spirit have to work in our lives? Because it's one thing to go through this study and explain what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, and it's another thing to say, God, I desire to be used as an instrument by you. I'm open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how you would want to work in and through this situation. Zechariah 4 verse 6 says, it's not by power or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The book of Acts is not a group of people getting together with great ideas how to reach the lost. It's a group of people that are in love with Jesus, dedicated to Christ, and willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know for some, depending on your background, that can cause some hesitation. Maybe you've seen the gifts of the Holy Spirit abused. And never will the Holy Spirit desire to lead us in anything outside of Scripture. We don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's our comforter and our helper and our source of power to live out the Christian life. And it seems like there's two responses. One is to have this ultra-charismatic view where the gifts are used out of bounds of Scripture or to throw out the Holy Spirit altogether. And that's been referred to as throwing out the baby with the bathwater. You don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to the things of the Spirit of God. But I think as you look at the landscape of our world today, you see the need for a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit. For our lives to have eternal impact, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? It's not that we can just come together in our own strength and say, okay, we're gonna make an impact into this dark world. It can only happen through the Holy Spirit. The Church of Corinth, as we look at the context of this chapter, is they are having a difficult time when it comes to their gathering together of believers. We saw in our study last week where Paul actually said, instead of it being edifying, it's more destructive. And he set in place the order for communion. Now he's going to set in place how the spiritual gifts need to be used and operated when, gift, when believers are gathered together in a congregational setting. 
This will be the theme for the next several weeks. In chapter 12, what we're going to study tonight is it's gifts used in the body. And then chapter 13 is gifts balanced by love. It's the chapter on love, that the gifts of the Spirit are balanced by love. And then it's gifts used in a proper order. You're going to come away with wrong ideas if you just study chapter 12. You've got to study it all together. Many of you know this, the chapter and verses were added by the translators. And it's very easy for us to compartmentalize this section of scripture, but God never intended it to be that way. You should really look at it 12, 13, and 14 together. So though we're just going to go through chapter 12, I encourage you to read ahead. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So God comes forth at the very beginning and says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning this area of spiritual gifts. So if you're thinking I can hit the snooze button tonight, you know, this is for somebody else to figure out. I don't, I don't really need to be concerned with these things. I'm concerned with how I'm going to pay the bills, how my kids are going to get through school. I don't need to figure out this whole concept of the Holy Spirit and are the gifts for today or are the gifts not for today? I'll just leave that for someone else. And God says to us very specifically, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. There's five times in the New Testament where God says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Pay attention. I want you to understand these things. We find it in Romans 11, God's plan for the nation of Israel. 1 Corinthians 10, the Old Testament types, how the Old Testament points to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12, where we're here tonight, spiritual gifts. 2 Corinthians 2, Satan's tactics or his devices. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, the rapture of the church. What are the areas that the church is really ignorant in? God's plan for the nation of Israel. You'll talk to a lot of Christians and they'll say, I don't believe that God is for the nation of Israel anymore. Another area is how the Old Testament connects with the New Testament. We can largely be ignorant. How about the rapture? How many times have you heard people say, well, I'll just take the pan view. However it pans out, that's great for me. And I respect that. I understand that. I understand where that's coming from. But God's saying, don't just check out on this issue of the rapture. It's an important teaching to know and and understand. Satan's devices, a lot of times we're ignorant of, aren't we? We're very slow to see the spiritual element. But then also, too, these spiritual gifts. A lot of times we're not in a place of understanding them. So hopefully tonight we can come to understand spiritual gifts a little bit better. Verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Paul, one thing we can say is he just goes right for the jugular, doesn't he? Tact was not necessarily his forte. When he's speaking of you were Gentiles, he's saying you were unbelievers. You were carried away by dumb idols, however you were led by them. How many dumb things led us in our prior life before receiving Christ as our Savior? So I think we can relate to verse 2. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. This is important to understand. There must have been something happening in the church of Corinth where people were standing up and saying that they were speaking by the power of the Spirit or by the influence of the Spirit but yet they were cursing Christ. So they were claiming something, they were putting something on the Holy Spirit that's very far from the Spirit of God. 
And we see that happening a lot of times. People have this weird, abnormal behavior, and then they want to put it on the Spirit of God. We want to look at the Spirit of God and say, well, what would be of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, all of these fruits that are given to us of, of the Holy Spirit. The job of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus Christ. So if Christ isn't clearly magnified, it's probably not a work of the Spirit. So this must have been happening in the church of Corinth to the point where Paul has to clear it up. And he says, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to do the exact opposite of cursing Christ. The Holy Spirit's going to lead people to point them to Christ. None of us have come to the place of salvation apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was moving in our lives, drawing us to Jesus Christ. We yielded to the work of the Spirit. We answered that call, but it was the Spirit's influence that got us to the place of saying, Jesus, your Lord, I'm submitting my life unto Jesus Christ. There may be some of you tonight that haven't yet got to that place of receiving Christ as your Savior, and the Spirit of God's working on you. You're here in the middle of July, July 15th, on the summer evening, because you're hungry for the things of God and the Spirit's reaching out to you saying, open up your heart and your life to Christ. Paul goes on to explain the work of the Spirit. How is the Spirit gonna be working in our lives as the body of Christ? There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversity of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. The difficulty for the church of Corinth is they seem to be at a place where they're so selfish and so self-focused that they're actually having gift envy. What do I mean by gift envy? Just go to your house on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve. If you have two, three, four kids, five kids, and what happens Christmas morning as young kids open the gifts? It initially comes with great excitement and great thanksgiving. Mom, dad, thank you so much for this. But by the time they go to bed at night, jealousy comes in over the gifts, doesn't it? They may not verbalize it, but you can see it on their faces. Why did brother or sister get this gift? Why did they get a skateboard when I got a sewing kit or whatever, you know? I really wanted a skateboard, but yet here I am having to, to deal with this. And how many times do we look at one another inside of the body of Christ we go, God, why did they get that gift? Or God, why are you using them in that way? And instead of there being this rejoicing with one another and complimenting one another, there was this envy that had come into the church of Corinth. So Paul begins to lay this out, and he says there's a diversity of gifts, and there's three things to note. So this is meaning gifted personally, that God gives gifts to each of us individually that are different, that are not the same. In Ephesians, it tells us that before Christ rose, he set the captives free and he gave gifts to men. It's part of your salvation in Christ where God has spiritually gifted you for the kingdom of God. And they're different. There's differing gifts, but who's the source? The same spirit. And then we go also different ministries. And what is the ministry? It's called uniquely. So not only are we gifted individually, but we have a unique call from God. If you haven't figured this out yet, God doesn't want clone Christians. And what I mean by that is he's called us to the same set of standards. He's called us to the same holiness, but our individual callings are very different. Meaning, 
He's engineered us for different things. He's given us different passions, different pursuits, different ways that he wants to use all of us. And then we find that there's a diversity of activities. And that means that the ministry or the calling is to be applied in a very particular way. So we can look at this just inside of the body of Christ inside of Colorado Springs. It's the same spirit, but God's given different gifts to different churches. Inside of local churches in a community, they will generally have two or three strengths. And they will also have some weaknesses. And why is that? Because God gives different gifts to different churches. And then inside of a church, they'll have different ministries. Maybe one church will be really passionate about marriage ministry or, or young people or, or teaching the Bible in an in-depth way, verse by verse. But another church will say, you know what, we need to be out doing skate ministry. And this is what God has called us to, but it's all the same ministry. But then it's applied very specifically by a work of, of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's beautiful. Why is not every church the same in Colorado Springs? Because there wouldn't be near as many people that are reached. And so we have this diverse body of Christ that God has given different ministries to where it's applied in a very specific way so that more people can be reached. What's the balance point? Is there a balance point? Yes, it's right here. It's the truth of Scripture. What if there's a ministry that's in contradictory to Scripture? then it's not a ministry of God. So inside of scripture, though, there can be a lot of diversity. There can be a lot of different gifts. It can be applied in a lot of specific ways. It's wonderful. It's a beautiful truth that the Lord has given. There's diversity, but there's unity. There's different gifts, different ministries, different activities, but it is of the same spirit, of the same Lord. In verse seven, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Manifestation means to show forth. It's kind of the difference between knowing that there's water in your lines at your home and then also turning on the faucet to show forth. To know that you have a sprinkler system then to turn on that sprinkler system. So the manifestation is the showing forth of the Holy Spirit. So why is the Holy Spirit given if as I started tonight and I said, we need a move of the Holy Spirit and we're in agreement, then why would the Holy Spirit move? Why would the Holy Spirit manifest himself when we get to the place where we're about the body of Christ, when we're about the building up, the profit of all? But unfortunately, sometimes with gifts of the Holy Spirit, they get self-focused instead of Christ-focused. And what I mean by this is the gifts of the Spirit are not candy that God gives to us individually for the purpose of me enjoying this to myself. It's not this bowl of ice cream that I'm like, oh, this is my bowl of ice cream, you know. The, the Spirit is given not just for personal enjoyment, but the Spirit is given so that the body could be edified. And sometimes I think that gets mixed up can get mixed up in a variety of different gifts. Sometimes when you're hearing someone teach the word, they're more impressed with their own voice than being concerned with the building up of the body of Christ. Sometimes when someone's leading worship, it's become self-focused and self-absorbed instead of the interest of the whole body. Someone could be speaking in tongues, but they're not concerned with the whole body. They're only concerned with, well, 
I'm enjoying speaking in tongues with no consideration to if there's interpretation for the whole body to be built up. So it's important for us to understand it's for the profit of all. It's not jewelry. It's not candy, but it's not jewelry where it's just to show off. Look, look at my spiritual gift. Look at how wonderful it is. Also, the spiritual gift's not a toy to be fought over. Who's got this gift and who's got that gift? But it's a tool to be built up for the whole body of Christ. We become a vessel that the Holy Spirit can use when we begin to care about what Jesus cares about, and that's people. When we care about the lost, when we care about the body of Christ, when we come together, whether it's in our homes or on a Wednesday night, when we're around believers and saying, how can I be a blessing? God, would you use me tonight to encourage others and to build them up? So now we see a bit of the gifts of the Spirit's listed and identified. This is not an exhaustive list. Also, we find a list in Romans chapter 12, but it gives us an idea of some of the manifestations or the moving of the Spirit. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, word of knowledge through the same Spirit. So this is where I think there's been a lot of confusion when it comes to the work and the gifts of the Holy Spirit so I want to define some of these and try to clear up some confusion tonight. What is the word of wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge applied. It's wisdom for a specific situation. If this is a manifestation of the Spirit, then we should see it in the book of Acts and in the life of Christ. In the book of Acts, we find that there was a problem in church. Crazy. A problem in church. Who ever heard of such a thing, right? Right? There was widows that weren't getting, were getting neglected in the feeding of food. So they bring this issue to the church leaders, to the apostles. And what do the apostles do? They said, let's find seven guys who have faith and have good reputation that they may meet the needs of serving these tables. And it was the Hellenistic, the, the, the Jews of the Greek influence that were being neglected. So they chose seven men who were Greek. We know that from, from their names. That's a good idea if the Greeks were, were being left out. And then the apostles say, our priority is to give ourselves to prayer and the study of the word. That sounds like wisdom, doesn't it? There was leaders that were raised up for this need. And then the apostles could continue to spiritually care for the needs of the fellowship. That was the word of wisdom. I love the word of wisdom when God chooses to give it through the Holy Spirit. And what's neat about this is this happens as we're in relationship with one another. You can't give the word of wisdom or receive the word of wisdom if you're not around believers, if you're not in a relationship with believers, because this is for the profit of all. Maybe you're talking through a problem or a difficulty with another believer, and the Spirit just begins to move in their life, and they say, you know what, have you thought about this? Oh man, that's exactly the practical wisdom that I needed for that situation. I bet a lot of times the word of wisdom is operating without us even knowing it. Because the purpose, again, is edification, not tooting the horn. Woo, look at that word of wisdom. That was awesome. You're so cool. Way to go. It's just, you didn't even realize it, but the Spirit was working in the midst of that individual. The next is the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. This is God giving insight to someone where they find out information where they wouldn't have known any way else apart from God. We also find this in the book of Acts and in the life of 
of Jesus as well. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, what did he do? He said, why don't you go get your husband and let's have him join us for this conversation. What did she say? I have no husband. And Jesus said, well, you've answered well. You have five husbands and the guy you're with isn't your husband. How does he know? Is the word of knowledge. Is the word of knowledge that Christ was operating in. And there'll be times where the Holy Spirit will move in our hearts and our lives and you're talking with someone and the Spirit will say, they really need encouragement today. What? They look just fine. They really need encouragement today. Ask them how they're really doing. Okay. And then you find, hey, what's really going on in your life? And they open up and they begin to pour out their heart and their life to you. And I think for some of us, we go, this is so outside the box. I could never step out in that way. Well, you're going to miss out on God doing something supernatural. There's times where he wants to give the word of knowledge for the purpose of bringing someone to Christ, for the purpose of encouraging someone that couldn't happen any other way. It's a powerful gift and manifestation and moving of the Spirit. In verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. There's times that God will give extraordinary faith to an individual for them to step out in an extraordinary work. If you see someone stepping out in faith to trust God, what's the source of that? It's the Spirit. The Spirit of God moved uniquely in their life to build them up in faith where they could step out into the things that the Lord had for them. It's a beautiful gift. It's an encouraging gift. When someone steps out in faith, it then inspires us, doesn't it? A lot of times, steps of faith have to be more caught than taught. We can teach on steps of faith, but as we live a life of faith, that becomes inspiring. People go, wow, I just saw them step out in faith. I want to step out in faith as well. Once again, are we open to this? God's steps of faith are for other people. That's great if they want to go do this, and they want to go talk to their neighbor about Christ, and pray for people, and that's just too radical for me. Well, God might be wanting to broaden your horizons. Well, I don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Well, why not? Why don't you believe they're for today? Did God change his mind? Did he start going, hmm, I don't think these are really needed anymore. They got it all figured out. There's nothing in Scripture to say that God would cease the gifts of the Spirit. Now, they shouldn't be abused. They shouldn't be used in an unbiblical way. But God hasn't ceased in moving through the power of his spirit. And he may want to give you the gift of faith to take an extraordinary step of faith. We also see the gifts of healing by the same spirit. Notice that it's plural, gifts of healing. There's no office of healer. Like there's an office of apostle or an office of pastor or an office of teacher. Some people say that, well, I have the gift of healing, so send me your money and I'll pray for you and you, you'll be healed. And in fact, I've got a holy hanky. I'll send it in the mail to you for $50 and rub that hanky and you shall be healed. Maybe that's what Chance has got going on with the hankies in the back of his pocket, right? No. There, there's no office in that sense. What we find is, is God at particular moments through his Holy Spirit will want to heal someone and he'll move through the prayer of an individual to then God doing that work of healing. The person's not doing the healing. God's doing that work of healing. 
What's the example of this? We see Peter in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 3, we see him coming to the gate of the temple called Beautiful. And the scriptures tell us that his eyes was fixed upon a man who was begging and crippled. And Jesus, or excuse me, Peter said to him, I don't have any money for you, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That was a gift of healing that was bestowed upon that man through Peter. A lot of times I think the gift of faith and the gift of healing go hand in hand. Because if you're going to pray for someone to be healed, you, you better be having the faith in order to inspire that prayer. Be careful in this, you know. You can do a lot of hurt or a lot of damage in, in people's life. If you're going to pray a prayer like Peter did in Acts chapter 3, you better be making sure that you're hearing the voice of, of the Holy Spirit. And that's, again, one of the abuses. But also, we don't want to take away from the scripture. God does choose to heal in supernatural ways. Sometimes he chooses not to. We see that in Paul's life. He had the thorn in the flesh that God allowed to, to endure, but sometimes he does heal. Why would God heal in a supernatural way? To point people to his glory. Again, it's always pointing people back to Jesus Christ. To another, the working of miracles. We find this in the book of Acts. Same purpose, to point people to Jesus Christ. To another, prophecy. And prophecy is twofold. It's foretelling future events, but it's also forthtelling the word of God. And God will raise up people in this area of prophecy. Now, personally, if someone comes up to you and they tell you that they're a prophet, you may want to run for your life. Because <laughs> if someone's really operating, I believe, through the work of the Holy Spirit, they're not going to go around advertising that they're a prophet. You know, it, it just has warning flags all over it. It's kind of like someone trying to sell you their holy hanky. Be very careful if someone's coming up to you advertising that they're a prophet of God. If someone's operating through the power of the Holy Spirit in this gift of prophecy, I think they're going to be speaking the word of God with boldness. They may be speaking into future events, but it's going to happen in a very natural way that's pointing to Jesus Christ, not in some weird way, you know, not in some way that doesn't line up with who Jesus is and who the character of God is. To another, the discerning of spirits. The spirit will move, the Holy Spirit will move in people's life to help identify where the enemy is working and where God is working. In 1 John 4, it tells us that we shouldn't believe every spirit, but we should test the spirits to see what's the source here. Is it from God or is it from, from Satan? And the test is, do they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Jesus discerned Satan influencing Peter. We find that when Jesus was speaking to Peter and said, Satan desired to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. Jesus discerned that he was being attacked by, by Satan and he needed an extra level of prayer. We find in Acts chapter 16, Paul discerned the work of Satan as well. Are we open to the work of the Spirit in our lives this way? Maybe you're at work and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's like, boom, here's what's really happening. Here's the spiritual issue. Here's where God's working. Here's where the enemy's trying to attack. You need to pray. Are we open to the Spirit of God revealing some of the spiritual attack that's happening in our home? And the Spirit's saying, you need to pray. This, this is what's happening. The enemy's trying to sift one of your kids like wheat. You need to get on your knees. You need to intercede for your spouse. The, you know, you, you walk into a, 
a movie theater and all of a sudden you're like, man, there's a spiritual battle that, that's taking place. It's this discerning of, of the spirits. And when we come here to church to, to recognize there's a spiritual battle taking place and recognizing where God's working, recognizing where the enemy's working and crying out to the Lord in prayer. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. This is the gift of tongues that we see in the book, book of Acts. The purpose of the gift of tongues, we know from the book of Acts, is to speak the wonderful words of God. It's directed towards the Lord. And whenever the gift of tongues is given in a congregational setting, meaning with multiple believers, there should be interpretation, meaning that it's then, this is what the tongue means, so everybody could be built up and everybody could be edified. Now hang on if you have a lot of questions. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, when we get there, we're going to cover this in depth. We're going to cover this in depth. But I encourage you to take some time reading in the book of Acts and begin to ask the Lord and say, God, is this something that you would have for my life? Or is it something that you've checked off your list of saying, no, God couldn't work in my life through the gift of tongues. It's amazing to me how open people are to the gift of administration. Like, oh yeah, I could, I could see the Spirit of God moving in my life through the gift of administration. I've never had anybody argue that the gift of administration is not for today. Everybody agrees that the gift of administration is for today. The gift of helps. I'm very open to the gift of helps. But then when it comes to the gift of tongues, I don't understand that. That's weird. I don't want any part of that. That, that, that ceased. That has passed away. And again, there's been a lot of abuses but if it's from God, it's from the Spirit for edification and for building up, we should be open to what God would have for us. Verse 11, but one and the same works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So not everybody's going to have the same gift. Not everybody's going to speak in tongues. Not everybody's going to have the gift of ministration. Not everybody's going to have the gift of faith. It's as he wills. It's as God desires and he sees fit to give gifts to individual believers. There's an emphasis throughout these 11 verses on the spirit. It's the same spirit. It's the unity of the spirit. Verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all of the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. This is one of Paul's favorite examples as you read through the epistles is the human body and how it parallels is similar to the body of Christ. We have many members. Just for fun, I looked up today the body, the human body and the different members that are in the, the human body. So apparently you have 206 bones inside of your skeleton. That's quite a few. 206 bones. Some of you might have one extra. One of you, some of you may have one less. No, I don't know. It's roughly 206. And then you have 600 muscles in your body. That's a lot. That, that's just the skeleton and it's just the muscles. That, that's not anything else. Just the skeleton and muscle. And we think of the body of Christ. And there's so many different members. Just in this room tonight. So many different personalities. So many different gifts. But we're just a very small, small, minute portion of the body of Christ as a whole. All believers, all that are in Jesus Christ, are all members of the same body. And it all comes from Christ. Notice the emphasis. The body is one and has 
many members. So there's unity, but there's also diversity. The average human tongue has about 10,000 taste buds. Praise the Lord for those little suckers. <laughs> 10,000. So, so God has given so many different gifts and such diversity, but yet unity. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to drink in one spirit. So it's the same spirit, it's the same baptism, it's the same body. So it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, these are some incredible boundaries in society. Jews and Gentiles had nothing to do with each other. Talk about a caste system between slaves and free, but in the body of Christ, one unit. You'd have Jews and Gentiles worshiping next to each other, slaves and free, worshiping next to each other. Think of the incredible unity that we have inside of the body of Christ. I would hope inside of the body of Christ as a whole, all the different churches that are represented, that we would have all types of people, all types of people, that there wouldn't be division between races, that we wouldn't be economic divisions and educational divisions, that there's that unity that's in Christ Jesus. It's Again, wonderful, it's beautiful and powerful. Huge barriers broken down. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, am I not the body? It is, the, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? So Paul says, well, what if the body started to compare itself with one another? You know, what, what if the, the hand looks at the eye and says, well, I, I'm not the eye, so I must not be important around here. I must not be part, part of the body. This had to be the attitude of some of the Corinthian believers. Well, look at Paul. He's the mouth. The guy's talking all the time. I heard one time he preached so long, someone fell asleep and fell out of the window and died. You know, <laughs> well, I'm not the mouth. I really don't have a lot to say, and when I do say it, nobody listens, so I guess I'm not a part of this thing. I guess I'm not a part of the, the, the church of, of Corinth. Now, well, Peter's the hand. Seems like God's using Peter all over the place to touch people's hearts and lives. I, well, I'm not, I'm not Peter, so I, I guess I'm not, I'm not part of this. How many times does that play into our thinking? And remember, what's Satan's goal? He wants to seek to kill, to steal, and destroy so he's always going to be whispering into your ear, you don't really belong here. You don't really belong with believers. They're looking down at you. They're condemning you. They don't want anything to do with you. You don't have anything to offer here. Just, just look around. All the needs are met. I'm sure if you filled out a volunteer application, they'd deny you anyway. they just put denied right on that sucker and hand it right back to you. you know, you're never going to have a part of this. You're, you're too messed up to, to do that. No. That's not the teaching at all of the, of the Spirit of God. Every single person has a gift that's been given to the edification of the believers. And no, you're not like somebody else. You're distinctly you. So be you to the glory of God. We have to get our eyes off of other people and be thankful for how God's created us. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole hearing... If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? So allow your imagination. What if the human body 
instead of having diversity, was just one giant eyeball. It starts to sound like Monsters, Inc. instead of the body of Christ, right? Just one eyeball. Of course there has to be diversity. What if the whole thing we're hearing is just one big giant ear? What if the whole thing we're smelling, the idea here is that it would not be a functioning body. There wouldn't be the, the proper mechanism that God's put in place to be the hands and feet inside of this lost and dying world. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. It's his choice. Church, it's his choice. He's made you the way he wants you to be for his purpose and for his glory. It's as he pleases. It's as he's put things together. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? So again, if we were just an eyeball, there wouldn't be no productivity. But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body, diversity but unity. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We need to be careful that we don't adopt this attitude in regards to other believers and other churches. If we start to think, well, I can do this Christian life by myself. Jesus is great, but I don't know about Christians. I love Jesus, but I don't want to spend any time with Christians. I've been hurt with a little too many Christians. How does that work out in this body context? Then it's one member of, of the body saying, I don't need everybody else. See, God wants us to be together. I think it's really important to examine what's the purpose of the body of Christ. It's to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's to reach a lost and dying world. It's the spirit of God to get a hold of us so that we can do, do the work of God. And when we isolate ourselves from other believers, we can't function the way God intended. He desires for us to be together so that we can serve as a body to accomplish things that we can't do alone. I'm sure you see this if you're married. A lot of times in marriage, God brings together strengths and weaknesses and you accomplish so much more together. My heart goes out to you if you're a single parent. It's so hard, so, so difficult. You know, if Amber's gone, I'm like toast in four hours. I'm done. You know, it's like, wow, this is a lot of work to do, to do by yourself. And when we come to serving the Lord, we're better together. Amen? So we don't want to adopt that attitude about other believers. I don't need other believers. And for our church family, Rocky Mountain Calvary, we don't want to get to that place where we think we don't need other churches. We're, we're a part of this together as the family of God. Amen? Verse 22. No, much more rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow great honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. That's true. That's all I need to say about that, right? That's true. Yeah. Read verse 23 again for yourself, and you'll, you'll get about what it's talking about. But this goes into this attitude of starting to despise other believers. And what Paul's saying is as we look at the human body, the weak members actually play in a very important part in the body of Christ. And that's the same way spiritually. So be creative with me for just a moment. Nose hairs seem to be very insignificant, right? And a lot of times we, we want to make sure that we groom our nose hairs appropriately. 
Well, let me read to you the purpose of nose hairs. Hair in the nose is one of the body's first lines of defense against harmful environmental pathogens such as germs, fungus, and spores. When a person inhales unfiltered air through his or her nose, he or she is also inhaling whatever solid particles are contained in that air. The hair contained in such nostrils helps to trap the larger particles in the sticky layer of mucus. This is why hygienists discourage people from completely eliminating their nose hairs while grooming. Small member, but an important purpose. You wipe out your nose hairs, you've just wiped out your filtering system. <laughs> if you're really sick all the time, you might want to check those nose hairs. <laughs> and before we wipe out another believer, say they don't have any purpose, you know, they're just this weak thing, I don't understand, they're just kind of taking up space and they don't ever do anything, we realize, man, this play is such an important role in the body of Christ. How about the big and little toe? Significant, insignificant, kind of humorous, if you've ever taken a look at feet. It's like, man, there's some funky looking toes up in here, you know what I'm saying? And the big toe's function is to provide additional leverage to the foot when it pushes off the ground during walking, running, or pedaling. In conjunction with the little toe, it also assists in maintaining the body's balance while standing. You don't have a big toe, you don't have a little toe, you don't have any balance. So before you lop off a member of the body of Christ, they may be balancing the whole ship. They may be balancing the whole body of Christ. Have you ever broken a toe? That is so painful. It hurts so bad. A few years ago, I broke one of my toes. I went to the doctor and he's like, we don't do anything for broken toes. I'm like, really? I feel totally defeated right now. <laughs> But it healed and it got better. So don't despise the weak members. Verse 24. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. There should be no division amongst the, the body of Christ. With believers that are committed to the scriptures, we shouldn't divide. When we're dividing, we have to remind ourselves who's bleeding. Christ is bleeding. There's certain things to divide over, and that comes to the scriptures. When we start to depart from the essentials of scripture and who Jesus is and how we're saved, that's something that we have to stand on. That that's a hill that we have to die on. But there's a lot of hills that are not essentials, agreed? that we divide over. There's no need to divide over. Let no division develop in the body of Christ, but have the same care for one another. Am I more concerned with caring or dividing? That's a good question. Am I more concerned with building up the body of Christ or dividing the body of Christ? And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is a hard concept for us to get, I think, because of our culture. We're a very individualistic culture. We, we tend to just think in our own little compartment. And what Paul is saying here is we're joined to the body of Christ. 
We're not just living out our lives separately, but we're connected to one another. We're connected to other believers in the city and in the world. So when another believer suffers, we suffer with them. We see ourselves as being in this together because we're in the body of Christ. And if another member in the body of Christ is honored, instead of getting jealous and go, oh, I wish that was me. I, I, wish, I wish I could have that opportunity. Oh, that's so cool. God's using you. Praise the Lord. And we get to be honored with them. If God's really using another church in town and many people are coming to Christ and it's just exploding out the doors, we should be thankful. Like, oh God, that is so awesome. We're in this together and you're reaching people and you're bringing people to yourself. That's the attitude that we're to have towards one another. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So we find that we're in this collectively, but we're also members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administration, variety of tongues. Apostle means sent out. Apostle would be a missionary, someone who's sent out to plant works. God gives that gift to the body of Christ. Prophets, we've spoken of prophets, someone who's speaking forth the word of God. Teachers, someone who's explaining the word, who's opening up the word and saying, let me explain this to you. You don't have to have a pulpit to be a teacher. You know, this isn't the only place that teaching occurs inside of Rocky Mountain Calvary or inside of any church. You can sit down with another believer and you can say, hey, you know what? Let's look at the scriptures. Would you mind if we look at the scriptures? I know my opinion doesn't really matter and you're probably wondering about your own opinion. What, what do you think God has to say? Let's, let's look, look at the scriptures. So teaching the word of God can be used in a lot of different formats. You're sitting down with your kids and they're sharing their day and you're saying, well, you know what? That's interesting. That reminds me of a Bible story. You're dealing with a bully at school. The children of Israel were dealing with a bully. His name was Goliath. You want to read it? And you're teaching. You're, you're sharing the, the things of God. That miracles, after that miracles, the supernatural to point people to Christ. The gifts of healing, again, it's plural. It's, it's gifts given as God sees, not an office that someone has the office of healing. Helps, administration. These aren't exhaustive lists. This isn't every gift of, of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of helps is such a powerful gift, isn't it? If you've just lost a child or buried your spouse, you really don't need the gift of teaching in that moment. You don't need someone to come over to your house and say, you know, let me expositionally expound on Psalms 23. But you may need someone to help clean your house because you're so brokenhearted, huh? If your basement's flooding, you don't need a prophet. You don't need a, someone to come over and say, you know, this is really profound of the United States of America. Our foundation is getting flooded at this juncture. Let's pray. You're like, you moron, my, my flood in my basement. You know, that's great, but you need the gift of helps, don't you? You need someone that goes, let's get a shop vac. Let's start sucking this water out. Let's get you a sump pump. Let's drive to the Home Depot in Pueblo because they've got the last sump pump in town. Get this thing wired up. You, you need the gift of helps. It's such an important gift. It's not any less than these other gifts. Administration. 
Administration, again, is an important gift that the Spirit of God uses. Administration are the systems, the wheels, the mechanisms behind ministry. So here's a calling. Here's a ministry that God has given, but there has to be some organization that goes in behind it in order for that ministry to take place. If you're the type of person that says, I don't have a lot of vision, I don't have a lot of passion to see new things developed, but when someone starts to express a new idea, I can tell you where the pitfalls would be and what organization needs to be behind that you probably have the gift of, whole, of administration for the Spirit of God to, to move through. In the varieties of tongues, it's the speaking of tongues that we'll look at more in chapter 14. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? These are clear no's. It's an obvious rhetorical question that the answer is no. So some of you have maybe heard the teaching that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak with tongues. That that's the manifestation that you're filled with the Spirit. Maybe some of you have gone to churches where they've put all this pressure on you to say, until you speak with tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God's really not working in your life until you speak in tongues. What do you think of these verses that we just read? It clearly states not everybody's going to speak in tongues. So the Spirit of God may give the gift of tongues to certain people as he pleases, but he's not going to give it to everyone. So I think that it's an abuse of scripture to sit and tell people, you know what? If you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. Then we might as well tell everybody, well, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're all going to be administrators. You know, if if you're filled with the Spirit, you're all going to have the gift of helps. No, it's clear that saying God's going to give different gifts to different people at different times for his specific purposes. And verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I show you a more excellent way. This is our application of this text, is earnestly desire the best gift. What's the best gift? Whatever the Holy Spirit chooses to give to you. God, you've made me. You've engineered me. You've put me with this group of people, believers and unbelievers. What manifestations, what gifts would you desire to use in this particular situation? There is a best gift for a particular situation like we just described. Here's where I think we need to be as followers of Christ is we're simply open to how the Spirit of God would desire to move in our lives inside of the guidance of Scripture, not outside of the guidance of Scripture, not the abuse of the gifts, but saying, Lord, there's a lost and dying world. I desperately want to be part of your mission to see people come to Christ, to see believers be encouraged, so I'm open to whatever you would desire to do in and through my life. Lord, if I need the gift of administration, and give it to me. Lord, if you know that I need the gift of tongues for your glory and your purpose, then I'm open to that. If I need a, a gift of faith, then Lord, I'm open to that. But you know the best gift for the best situation that I'm in. So this means to be in prayer as we're interacting with people. Okay, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? What would you speak to my heart? Taking the time to listen and not to speak and God, God, what are you doing? 
I want to follow the work of the Spirit in this. And then the last thing that we see is he says, and I will show you a more excellent way, and that comes into chapter 13, which is the instruction on love. The instruction on love is given for the purpose of knowing how to use the spiritual gifts. That without love, these gifts are absolutely meaningless. So let's consider this as we close. God wants his church to be healthy. Would you agree with that? Not just this church, but the body of Christ as a whole. If there were ever a time for the body of Christ to be healthy, I think it's right now in this juncture of history. So the Spirit has gifted you individually. If you think, I'm just kind of sitting on the bench, God doesn't want to use me, that's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. God wants to use you. He has already gifted you individually. But you fit into the body corporately. So even though you have individual gifts, it's important that you plug in to some type of group of believers, where the Lord leads you. If it's here or if it's somewhere else, we're saying, I'm committed to these group of people to walk with together in fellowship to allow our gifts to mutually encourage each other. And be willing for your gifts to be used to edify all believers. But we have to understand, it's, God hasn't just gifted us for our own enjoyment. He's gifted us so that we can encourage believers. So that means I've got to be around believers. So we want to identify believers and unbelievers in our neighborhood. Okay, Lord, help me to be a witness to unbelievers. And how do I encourage believers? Who are the believers at my workplace? How do I encourage them? How do I fit in with these group of believers? Okay, God, this is the church family you've called me to. So, so how do I use my gifts inside of this church family? Maybe you're saying, I don't know how to use my gifts. I don't know where to start. I don't know how the spirit of God is moving in my life. A lot of times it's just trying something, just trying something. And as you begin to step out in faith and begin to serve, the Lord will show you your niche. You start in children's ministry. These two-year-olds are not for me, you know. I'm sure there might be homicide or suicide if I keep going in children's ministry, right? Maybe I'll go try the cafe. Hey, I like this. This is right up my alley. This, this is really enjoyable. You may end up with the junior hypers, with the junior hires. You're like, who knew that I would love being with the junior hires so much? You don't know. You might go end up finding yourself enjoying being an usher, but you just, you try something. And you go, oh man, this fits. This, this is exactly what the Lord has designed me for. And then there's a deep call here to commit to walk in unity. To say, Lord, I want to be a person who edifies the body that doesn't divide the body. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would take away any confusion, Lord, anything in this message that was from me and it wasn't from you, that we could stand on your word and stand on your word alone. Lord, you know that your work is done through the power of your spirit. And so we pray that we would be open to what your spirit is doing in our lives for your glory, to bring unbelievers to you, to encourage believers. We do thank you for the body of Christ as a whole in Colorado Springs. And we pray that you would bless the body, that you would strengthen the body, that we could be a healthy body for your glory. As we take communion tonight, would you minister to our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.